God, as I think about just your presence and the opportunity to be with you, not just we have it every day, but just to do it together as we gather. And Lord, I'm thankful. And just even the song before, that you've been so, so good to me, and I don't deserve it. But yet your goodness shines forth anyway. And when I think about where we could be without you, where I could be without you, God, I certainly don't envy a person that might be in that role or in that place. And so I just want to say thank you. I just get that sense of just gratitude in my heart and in my soul, my spirit this morning, in spite of all the things that happen in our day or our morning or our week our lives or what's going on in the world, God, that we could still find a place to say thank you, still find a place to say, Lord, we want to be more like you, still find a place to say, God, have more of us, still find a place to say, God, you're not finished yet with us. And so, God, we just lift ourselves up sacrificially, our church, us individually, Lord, have your way. That's a great place to be, even though it might be scary for some and hard for others and exciting all around. But yet, Lord, we say it. You're worthy. You've you've done all to deserve it. So, Lord, we just thank you and we leave it there. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. It's a good day. My name's Tyler. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. Nice that you were here. Glad that you were with us. We've got a good day, I think, in store for you. We're going to get to send some people out on some mission trips, some other things at the end of the service, so looking forward to that. We're going to continue in our series called The Kingdom of God. We've been in this for several weeks since Easter. Today's going to be a fun one as well. Real quick, uh, there's a, speaking of missions and missionaries, there's a couple that we support in Young Life in Freiburg, Germany, and their names are Felix and Domi Schneider. And you might remember that Felix was, I think, here at this church many years ago as a Young Life intern or on the team. Anybody remember oh, yeah. them? Yeah, right. So they're actually traveling to the U.S. right now as we speak. They'll be here Midnight in the morning sometime. They'll be here next Sunday, so make sure you join us next Sunday so you can meet them. Love for you to meet them. And actually, they're going to be hosting a gathering for all their friends that they've known here this coming Friday here at the church as well. I believe it's at 7. Don't quote me on that. We'll make sure we get that. Oh, it is at 7. There it is. It's in my note. You can quote me. It's at 7 o'clock. So you guys, uh, if you don't have plans on Friday night, we'd love to have you. I know they'd love to have you get to hear what God's up to in their lives, what God's up to in their in their, mission, in their ministry, and also what God is up to in a place in Germany on the Switzerland border called Freiburg in the hearts of teenagers and young adults. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So just put that there. You've got a study guide on the way out. You can grab that as you leave. And as I think about, uh, as we head into this morning, you know, a recap from last week, if, if you weren't able to make it, was just the idea of when Jesus ascended. Jesus ascended. That's where we looked at last week in Acts. He left the disciples, said, hey, go back to Jerusalem. 
you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, and the idea of this, that the disciples is Jesus left on a cloud in glory to go to heaven. You know, it's got this mental image of the disciples all just kind of watching him until you couldn't see him anymore as a speck in the sky or wherever the earth stops and heaven begins. I don't know, right? We weren't there, but I just get this image. And I think that's true for us. Like sometimes we get stuck looking skyward, awaiting for Jesus' return because as the angels told the disciples, hey, how he left is how he will return, right? But what we looked at last week is we don't really know when that is. In fact, Jesus doesn't know. It's just when God says, hey, it's time, go back and, and get my, my children. And so, uh, and so I think that's a, a challenge for us is to not forget and overlook what we're doing now in the present for the future of, of a time that we don't know. Now, I was talking about that limited limited fashion as Jesus is returned. We don't know when he's going to return. The Bible's pretty clear. We do know some things about the future, however. The book of Revelation contains that, so I want to clarify that. But that's the idea is that we get so stuck waiting for his return, as we all should because of all the things that are going on in the world. But sometimes, as again, we check ourselves. We forget what God has us doing right now, where he's placed us right now, how he's gifted us right now for His glory and for His purposes, right? I get that too. I, I, I get stuck looking skyward as well. And so as we turn our attention to Pentecost today, and we're going to be back in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, but here's the reality. Jesus said, hey, disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait. You're going to receive the gift of the Father. You're going to receive the gift of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that the work of building the churches we'll look at this morning is not dependent upon the disciples' power. It's not dependent upon our power. It's dependent upon God's power and spirit as he resides within us, which takes us off the hook a little bit, relieves a little pressure, don't you think, right? We all have thoughts of what we think the church should be and how it should look and what it should do. But the reality of it is even all those things that it's still built and purposed on him and through him, and by him, and for him. And so the story of Pentecost, like I said, we'll look at, just very simply, Pentecost just means 50. So it's the 50th day after Easter. And if you're familiar with the story, I'm going to skip over a part of it, but I want to reference it, is that the disciples were waiting in an upper room, kind of like they were waiting, uh, they were holed up uh, after um, uh, Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and they were scared. And so they're waiting in the same upper room, and the Spirit comes in like a wind. You've got tongues of fire that come down. People are talking, and, and the disciples are all speaking in different languages. It's kind of the reversal of the Tower of Babel, where language was confused, and people think that the disciples are drunk, right? Like they're acting kind of weird. They're a little crazy. There's a huge crowd gathered around them. And so I just love this. People think the disciples are hammered like it's a spring break on MTV, you know? Like I love this, this, this image. So, you know, and just in a matter of 10 days, you've got the disciples like looking skyward and the angels saying, hey, why are you still here? Go. And now the disciples are acting kind of a fool, right? But the funny thing is, is it's, they're not hammered. It's not, it's not 3 a.m. in the morning. The Jewish day begins at sundown, not at, not at sunrise. And so it's actually 9 a.m. in the morning. You know, so when I, I think about the, that, the idea of the sermon, the title is The Horizon Set Before Us. Pentecost sets the horizon for the church that is ever before us. Let me say that again. Pentecost sets the horizon before the body of Christ 
that we will never reach until He comes back, right? So it's this goal, this idea, this thing that we're trying to attain, not in our own strength and own power, but we're still moving toward because it's this ideal of what God has for you and for me on this side of eternity. You know, and as I think about horizons, you know, I you know, before we moved from Tennessee to Texas, I was hiking my favorite mountain in, in Tennessee. It's called Mount LeConte. And there's about eight or seven different paths to get up. And I chose a hard one. And it's steep. And, you know, I hadn't been on this one before, actually, believe it or not. And, and it's funny. As you're walking the path, you know where you need to go because you can kind of see where the, the top of the mountain is. But you don't know where what's coming between where you are and where you're going. Agreed? You ever, you ever walked the path like that before? Where like you can't, you know where you're headed, but you can't really see where you beyond where you are and where you need to go. And that's kind of the idea for Pentecost as well. And so the idea, the question I want to ask you this morning is, what does it look like to walk the part of the path that you are on right now? What does it look like for you to walk the path that you are on right now and still look toward the future and its destination? See that? Right? It's almost like you have to have like two eyes, you know, one eye on the path in front of you, one eye. And unfortunately, we, our vision doesn't work that way, right? But that's the idea. Is, and the question, too, is, is it possible to focus on the future of God, ha- the future that God has for us, while not getting fixed on Jesus' return? Is it possible to focus on the future God has for each of us while not being fixed on Jesus' return? Those seem kind of hard, agreed? Right? You know, and so we're going to be looking at some key concepts in Peter's sermon. So that's where I'm going to focus this morning is Peter's sermon. Because if you're aware of the first day, flaming tongues of fire come down. They all start, start talking to different languages. And Peter proclaims the gospel of Jesus resurrected boldly. And 3,000 people come to faith that day. So that seems kind of important. Like, let's look at that sermon. So as I said, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through, through 39. I'm going to read this over us quickly. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, and it says, Peter says this, Men of Israel, there's other people in the crowd, by the way, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, this is that David, King David, the good shepherd David, the man after God's own heart David, says concerning him, concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. So now Peter's quoting David. For he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad. And my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. Sounds like that's kind of what I need today, right? My heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my flesh will dwell in hope. That's what Jesus offers you and me in spite of the circumstances. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me, I love this, the path of life. And you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to say, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he has, was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And I just went past. Oh, no, I've got a few more verses. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, this message is for everyone. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this, I want to end here. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Pretty good. Pretty succinct. I wonder how long it took him to read it. Probably not long. You know, I go a lot longer. Peter's a little bit better than I am. But here's, you know, the point of Jesus, uh, Peter's message this morning is to allow people who are familiar with the recent happenings of Jesus to actually encounter salvation through repentance and submission to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's the point of Peter's message. Is you can't have a relationship with God without repentance and submission just doesn't work that way. I try. You know, it just doesn't work that way. I wish it did. It'd make my life a little bit easier because I could have a little more control, but it just doesn't work that way. And then it's just want to hit a few points this morning in, in what we read. Verse 23, Jesus was delivered to death by a definite plan and of God. Definite plan and of God. Okay. So Peter refers to the definite plan for Jesus and it implies that while all the things that happened to Jesus that were foretold and were hard and were really bad for him, God's not asleep at the will even in the worst circumstances. You see that this morning? Like it's the most worst day, the horrible, most horrible day, darkest day on the planet. But yet God... It was a part of God's plan, and he's not asleep at the wheel. So I don't know what's going on in your world. We certainly have lots of things going on in our world. And while it might feel that God's far off, he's not asleep at the wheel. He's not just leaving us off to this thing. And so here's the thing. Just like Jesus, God has a plan for your life, too. God has a plan for your life, too. What is it? Do you know? Can you spit it out? Could you have someone have a could you have a conversation with someone that you're going to have lunch or dinner with later about what God's plan is for your life? He has a plan for each and every one of you that's unique to you. Unique to you. You were made for it. You were designed for it. You were destined for it and it's to bring him glory. Last week we talked about the Greek word for baptism. Anybody remember that word? Probably not. 
Baptizo, okay, you get an A star or whatever that's it. Baptizo, that's the Greek word for baptism. Baptizo, if you remember, it means to dip or repent or to have a significant religious experience. Well, here's the funny thing. The Greek word for definite, as we were just looking at, God has a definite plan for Jesus, is similar as it's horizo. Horizo. Now, I didn't say chorizo like the breakfast taco. I'm saying horizo, okay, not chorizo. And horizo means to appoint, determine, or designate. See that? Horizo means to appoint, determine, or designate. That's why Peter says Jesus or God had a definite plan. There's the Greek. Want to guess what word we get from horizo? Horizon. It's not chorizo. It's horizon. I know. I know. I was like, I, I, I kind of wanted to have breakfast tacos with chorizo this morning, and I was like, ah, never mind. You didn't want them. So there you go. That, that's the word we get from horizo is horizon. And so I don't know about you, but I love horizons. Did you throw that up on the board Why you said it? Okay. Okay. Cheaters. Anyway, I love horizons, by the way, and I don't know, I don't care what they are. I love them all, right? And they're all good in my, in my eyes. And so examples like beaches and mountains, right? Cities, even West Texas. Like, like I love horizons. I do, because like I like them. Space, underwater, like just any kind of image like that. And there are four reasons why I love horizons very quickly. One, and I think it's good for you and for me. One, it reminds me slash us how small we are. It reminds me slash us how small we are. And so I don't know about you, but when I feel like I have the entire world on my shoulders and I look at the horizon, I'm reminded in God's grace, while my problems feel huge and big and heavy and burdensome and they threaten to topple me over, I'm actually small in the grand scheme of things. That is grace and mercy to be reminded of how big he is and how small we are. When I, I like to run or ride my bike as, as well, and, and, and I'm acutely aware when I'm running or I'm riding of where I am in relation to the horizon. I'm exactly where I am in the present, and the horizon is always set before me. See that? Number two, this, another reason why I like horizons is the center of my faith life is not me slash us. It's Jesus. Hard to live your life when you're the center of it. A lot easier to live it when Jesus is the center. When we come to grips with our actual size, Jesus actually takes his place on the throne of our hearts of our hearts, and there is freedom that is found there. When I'm not the God of my own life, I live in freedom. But the reality of it is that I spend most of my days trying to figure out how I could be the God of my own life, right? I mean, come on, like that's how it works. But then when I look at the horizon, I'm reminded of how big he is, how small I am. And I step off the throne and Jesus steps into the throne of my heart that he already has right to. God has a horizon for you and for me that is holistic and personal spiritually and ministerially. Let me say that again. God has a horizon for you and for me that is holistic, that is exactly what we need spiritually, and we are leveraged and positioned and placed and called and sent to live out the ministry that we've all been gifted to do. That's not just this. 
Hear me when I say that. Like this, love this. That's not just this. If our view of ministry is just this, we're leaving six out of seven days blank. Six out of seven days blank. Number three, it reminds me slash us of how big the world is compared to my size. It's a big world. And while technology feels like it's shrinking every day and we're becoming more and more aware of all the bad things and the hard things and the horrible things that are going on in the world, by the way, they've been going on like that forever. We are just now more aware of it. So what, you know, so what do we do? How do we live in a world that is shrinking for us technologically but is still ever as big as it always and as hard and as evil as it always was? What do you do? You change your perspective. You could stay, yes, it's all those things, and, and withdraw, or actually do we press in and figure out where God is sending us to go be his hands and feet? Sometimes our perspective is not always reality. We could be fooled, right? I mean, I, I, when I think about, you know, climbing mountains, there's these things called false summits, and you see them, you're like, oh, there's the top, and then you get up to that top, and then you realize there's another top above it, and then you get up to that one, you're like, surely we're done now, right? And wait, there's another top, you know? Like, there's this one mountain that has three false summits as a part of its summit system. And, you know, when you're at 14,000 feet and you're breathing hard and you're tired and you're a little hungry and you're, like, low on water and you're like, I've got to walk down this thing after I just walked up this thing and I'm not at the top, I kind of want to quit. It's all perspective. Remember, we can't see what's between where we are and the horizon and the path in front of us, but God sees all of those things. And then finally, number four, there's a path to follow to get you and me. There's a path to follow to get you and me from where we are to where God wants us to go. There's a path. Do you know that? You might not even be on the path. There's a path. You might even know what the next step is. There's a step because God ordains those steps and the path for you and me to walk. Because it's so hard, isn't it, to see the precise spot? We all want this. At least I do. Like, I look at horizons or I'm headed. I want to know exactly where I'm going to that spot on the horizon. And unfortunately, God just doesn't give us that kind of viewpoint. Where's the faith in that, right? If I, you know, if I had a Google map, you know, pin drop right on the horizon and I could just walk. Maybe we'll have that one day. We all turn in the robots, right? But, I mean, like, here's the thing. Like, that's just not how life works. Like where we are and where we thought we were going to be are often two different things. Verse 24. God sacrificed and raised Jesus to loosen the stronghold that spiritual death had on God's people. I love 24. I just want to read this again real quick. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you believe that? It was not possible possible for death to hold Jesus because of God's plan. Do you believe that? He raised Jesus to loosen the pangs of death that have a hold of his children. And so God raised him to give life, simply. I love even the picture of that. He rose out of death back into life to extend life to you and to me. Why has God raised you? You know Jesus, you've been raised from death to life. Why has he raised you? 
We raise Jesus to loosen the pangs. Number one, he raises you and me to live in his grace and mercy first and foremost. That's why we're here. Do you know that? Like, that's why we're here, to live in grace and mercy. Now, that's hard for a doer like me, though, because I want to get it right. I don't want to live in grace and mercy. I want to get it 100% because I'm a weirdo and a freak, and I don't like it when professors, you know, I had a friend in my cohort. Uh, he, he, got, he was counted off 0.5% of a grade of an assignment. His response to me was lame. I'm like, of course, but that's what professors do. They make it hard, right? You and I don't have to live that kind of life with God. We are made to live in His grace and mercy. Number two, He raises you slash me for a purpose for the good of others. Love that. Like, I'm not just here for myself. I love, like, people doing things for me and serving me. Like, that's fine. And, like, you know, when you're at the a restaurant, like you don't have to cook and someone brings you your food and hopefully it's correct and it's warm and all those things, right? But like you're not, not here for me. The world would say I'm here for me. Let me get all that I can while I can before it's too late. You ever caught yourself thinking that? I need to do this before it's too late or I need to do that before it's too late, right? We're not here for ourselves. We're actually here for a purpose beyond ourselves. And, and here's the other thing. It requires us living in His grace and mercy for us to even attain it. We can't attain it through our perfection or through our works. I love it. We get to share in the ministry of Jesus. And not a ministry, as I said, for ourselves, but for something greater. It's God's glory. So when we remove ourselves from the throne of our hearts, we get to live free for something larger than ourselves. Amen. Amen. Verse 31. Christ in his death, I love, this is, you know, I was thinking about that song, You Were So, So Good to Me, Where Would I Be Without You? I think that was the third song in the set. I just really touched me, and it's this, Christ in his death, according to verse 31, was not abandoned to hell, and here's the reality, neither are you and me. Let me say that again. Like, you and I are not abandoned to be separated from God the Father. If you are in Jesus, that separation has been broken and paid for by Jesus' death. And while God didn't abandon his own son to hell, no matter what's going on in our world, what's going on in our lives, no matter how bad it gets, how lonely we feel, how separated we feel from everybody else, as we look on the Instagrams and the Facebooks of the world where everything is perfect and sanitized and filtered and smiley, you and I are not abandoned to be alone because Jesus paid our debt. We're not abandoned. I love that. Christ in his death was not abandoned to hell, and God is not abandoning us to hell either. And so whenever you feel separated from God, God never abandons you. He is there waiting so patiently, waiting so patiently, and just says, come, just come to me. So you feel separated, find, talk to someone, find someone to talk about it. Don't suffer alone and just Go to him. God, and here's what it looks like. I don't feel it. And it's hard to fake it for me, right? If I'm not feeling connection, like I can't fake it. Like you usually know when I'm feeling, you know, or what I'm thinking because my poker face is not good sometimes, right? But like the reality of it is, is like when I'm in that moment, like I just don't even want to fool with it. Do you know God's not thwarted by that? 
I love that. Like, I appreciate that. Like, when I don't feel like connecting to God, God wants to connect to me only because that it honors what Jesus did for me. See the difference? Not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus did for me. You see that? You see that? We're not abandoned and separated from God. And then 37. At the result of hearing Peter's words, I love this, 37, the people in the audience were cut to the heart. It says that, literally. It says, cut to the heart. They were torn in two. They were cut in half. Their soul, their spirit, their heart that was dead within them, that was covered up with the world and grime and sin and separation, was removed like a scalpel. They were cut to the heart. And so when you have true interaction with God, like you get moved. You ever have those moments in worship, right? Or in, in, in teaching or in relationship where you're like, God, God, wait, God's here. I feel his presence. He's moving. There's something he wants me to do. And then I just walk away. I just walk away, right? And I ignore it. You ever do that? I do. Sure. Because I'm not perfect, right? But the reality of it is this, is when we have true interaction with God the Father, it moves us. It changes us. It gives us the opportunity to be different. And the question is, is when is the last time that you and I have allowed ourselves to be cut to the heart by God? Or are we so busy? Are we so distracted that we're just looking for the next piece of candy so that we can continue on the path that we're on? Instead of allowing him to move us and change us. Move us and change us. And then verse 38, when we are moved by God in the heart, repentance almost always follows, or it should. Let me say that again. When I get moved, when God brings me into awareness and a clarity of seeing something the way that he sees it, I almost always have to repent and ask for forgiveness. That's how you access. That's how you live in grace and mercy. It's a, oh wait, you've got it, God. I don't. Clearly, I'm not on the same page can you help me take a next step towards you and away from this? Repentance just literally means to turn away. And unfortunately, that's how the kingdom grows. It's people turning away from where they were and turning toward God. That's how you grow personally. It's you turning away from what you want or what I want and turning toward God. See that? And it's because he moves us to show us a new perspective. He moves us to show us a new perspective. And speaking of perspective, I love the change in the perspective of the disciples. Ten days ago, I mean, think about how their world radically changed and shifted within ten days. Within ten days. Right, ten days before Pentecost, as we were talking about in Acts 2, what was the question that they asked Jesus last week? Are you going to institute your kingdom? Is it time? They were still thinking what they were thinking before the crucifixion, before Good Friday, before the resurrection. They were thinking, all right, God, Jesus, you're going to kick everybody out, and then we're going to rule and reign. That sounds like a very human, worthy endeavor, doesn't it? How can I subdue and reign and subjugate the world that I live in to things that I want for me, right? When Jesus says, yeah, no, it's not really about that. It's not really about that at all. And so, as the, like I said, the 10 days before Pentecost, they were asking Jesus in Acts 2, to, 
when they were going to institute the kingdom, Jesus said no, and he left them, right? He said, no, sorry, and then he left on a cloud like in Jesus' fashion. I love that. Just the image, no. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a long conversation. It was, no, we're not going to do that. And then he gets on a cloud and rides to heaven. Like, I, you know, I love just that picture and the humor of Jesus just being so, you know, sometimes he uses lots of words, sometimes he doesn't. But what I love is he reminded them that the Spirit had to come. His answer was a no. No, actually, you need the Spirit to do what it is that you want to do. Isn't that funny? I think it's what? I actually flip it. It's a, well, if I want to do what I want to do, I need to do what I want to do. When Jesus is saying, no, actually, if you want to do what you want to do, you need the Holy Spirit. And so just like this, just like when the Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus after his baptism, it signaled the start of his public ministry. You know that story? Jesus gets baptized by John. It's referenced in Acts, right? John baptizes by water, but I will baptize a different way. I'll baptize by the Spirit. And Jesus gets baptized because he didn't have to, but he's showing for us what he wants us to do. And the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And it's the start of his ministry. And well, today on Pentecost, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the disciples. They become, they move from disciple to apostle. And the Spirit descends on them like tongues of fire, signaling the start of their public ministry. If you have Jesus in your heart, if you've submitted your life to him as Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit makes his residence right here, you have a public ministry too. Do you know that? You do. And it's not just this. That's what I love. It's not just this. And not only did the disciples receive the Spirit and their public ministry began, they also got a name change. A name change. Before Acts, they were called disciples, right? And the Greek word for disciple is methetes, methetes. I'm probably not saying that right because I didn't listen to it on the front end. I think it's methetes. But, and it literally means pupil or student. That's all a disciple is, a pupil or a student. Like, I guess that means in my program that I'm in right now, I'm a disciple of my two professors. Which they're, they're decent guys, so we'll, we'll allow that, right? That's the thing. If you're a student, students, you're right there. You're disciples of your teachers, of your school. You're in school right now. You're doing something. You're a disciple of that educational tract, right? But after Pentecost, they were called apostles. They were called apostles. They, became, they went from disciple to apostle. Disciple to apostle. And the Greek word for apostle is apostolos or apostolos, which means someone sent. Interesting, isn't it? That once they got the Spirit, once it descended on them like a tongue of fire, just like Jesus, by the way, right? Once Jesus received the Spirit, his ministry began, and he sent himself and the disciples out into the world on God's behalf. And so the term learner no longer encompasses the disciples of Jesus. See that? No longer can they just be a learner. By the way, like, we'll learn the rest of our lives of where we are and what God wants us to do. Learning never stops. You hear the term oftentimes, lifelong learner. We'll be lifelong learners in regards to how we spiritually grow forever until we don't. See that? But it is now expanded into someone who doesn't just learn, they go to. See that? 
It's expanded. Jesus is expanding. God's expanding the identity of a disciple. A disciple is no longer someone who just learns. They're also sent. And so here's the thing. Your spiritual journey has begun with learning, but it takes you toward a horizon that you have to go. See that? See that? That's why, the, that's why we spent so much time on the horizon earlier this morning, because it is no longer fully encompassed me of just sitting and learning about the wonders and, and the glory of God. I should do that, but that's not the only thing I should do. If our spiritual journey is completed, that means two things. Two things, right? One, there's nothing else to learn, and two, there's nowhere else to go. See that? If we're complete, if we're finalized, if Jesus' imminent return is coming on the cloud right now, which I'm not going to say that because if I am, then you know I'm lying, right? It's not happening tomorrow. I don't know when it's happening, right? But that's the thing. It's that, that means there's nothing else for us to learn as the body of Christ, and there's nowhere else for the body of Christ to go. Now, do you believe that? I don't. You watch the news? I don't believe it at all. There is real trouble in the world. There's real trouble in the lives of our families. There's real trouble and things that we need to do and be different as a church. Right? So we're not complete. We're not complete. Because there's something about this. Something about learning to go and going to learn. Now, wait a minute. Okay. Now I'm just getting fancy with words. I am. It seems counterintuitive. But I cannot fully learn without going somewhere and putting that knowledge into practice. But how often do I live my life in such a way that I just want to sit and listen and learn and grow where I am and never, ever put it to, into practice into a world that needs Jesus? See that? I do it all the time. Likewise, I cannot fully go if I don't learn what I need to put into practice. See how it works both ways? See how it works both ways? Here's the thing. If you're just a goer, right, and never actually think why you're doing what you're doing, you're probably not being as effective for the gospel and for the kingdom as you think you are. It's true, right? And here's the reality. We prefer one over the other. Some of us are learners in here, and some of us are goers, much like some of us are savers and some of us are spenders. But it is a both and. It's a both and. I cannot, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I'm going to bank what I think on this. I cannot be a true follower. Now I'm talking about me. You can decide if this is true for you or not. I cannot be a true follower if I only learn or I only go. Because God calls me to both. And I'm willing to bet he calls y'all and us as the church and the body of Christ to do the same thing. Amen? So the question is, what does it look like for each of us? I love this. This is the deep end as we keep peeling onion layers back. Our vision for this year is the deep end. Like we're going to get out of the kiddie pool, out of the shallow end, and actually put ourselves in position for a little risk and a little reward, okay? The reward might come when Jesus comes back one day. I don't know. But I don't want to live a safe life. I want to live a risky life for him because as we've looked at this morning, I'm not abandoned to hell and God is always with me whether I feel it or acknowledge it or not. Okay? 
And so what does it look like for each of us to be learners and goers as true followers of Jesus? You can answer that question. We can answer that question collectively. We'll get a little bit closer to the deep end out of the shallow end. Amen? And so here's, here's the thing I'm going to ask you to do. Take the next 10 days. Disciples had 10 days to figure this out. In reality, they didn't really figure anything out. They were just sitting and waiting, right? So take the next 10 days. What if you started your day for the next 10 days and say, hey, God, what is it you want me to learn, and where is it you want me to go? Just simple. It could be across the street. It could be across the driveway. It could be the neighbor where you work and just be hands and feet and, and be a resource for them. But what would change in your life? What would change in my life? What would change in the life of this church? And what would change in the world around us? Remember, we're not just here for us. Because here's the thing. You and I can never make it to the point on the horizon if we never go and move forward to it. Isn't that great? See how this all... See, I mean, like, that's great. There's freedom there. Some of you, I know, like some, I mean, some of us are thinking, yeah, but I got to do this and this and this and this and this and this before I could ever get there. Yeah, so does everybody else. We all have the things. We all have the things. But if we die to ourselves a little bit each more each day and more freedom, we are free to move toward the horizon. So, so for some of us, I understand it's exciting. For some others, it's maybe a little unnerving. But the reality is this, in his grace and Goodness In His grace and goodness, God has designated for us, individuals, families, and friendships, and a church to move forward to a horizon. And that's where we're headed. I hope you're quiet because you're contemplating. I hope you're quiet because you're excited. Because I'm excited because, man, think about all the awesomeness and the messiness and the fun and the hard that we're going to all experience as we walk together toward the horizon. Amen? Amen. Before we, normally we end this sermon with a response song. We're going to do that, but before we do that, this is funny. So, you know, when I talk about, like, you know, God's awesome plan and He has all this stuff designed that we can't really figure out on our own, when it just becomes obvious what God's already up to and you just kind of catch up, like, that's what following Jesus is, by the way. Following God's plan for your life is just figuring out what he has for you. And you're like, oh, that makes sense because I can look in the rear view and go, oh, he's done this, 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 and this for me. Of course he's doing this. It happened also this Sunday. So we've got some people in our church body, in our church family, that are leaving for different things. So I'm going to call them up. Sarah, Mickey, Carmel, Will, and Kat. Sean, can you grab this, please? Come join me on stage. Yeah, sure. Why not? There you go. Jump up there. Yep. Thank you, Gito. So, Carmel is leaving for Romania in a couple of weeks. Sarah and Mickey. Saturday, excuse me. Sarah and Mickey are leaving for Brazil on a mission trip. When? 16th. On the 16th. And then Kat and Will on the end there are leaving for boot camp for the Air Force, right? Now, give them a hand. So I just wanted, I just thought, like, of course, God would, you know, throw this on paper somehow, and then it be a culminating weekend where we're all present before all of you guys just go out in your different times. So, Carmen, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Romania while you're gone? I have been called to the border of Romania and Ukraine, 
I'm going with the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Team. We will be helping the refugees with their needs, giving testimonies to, witnessing to, and just showing love in God's name to these people that are in such distress. Um, just quickly, Michael, my beautiful husband, has put together a blog and a Facebook, Facebook um, that he's going to be keeping in contact with me. He's going to be sharing it with y'all. If y'all want to be on that, get with me, get with him, um, or go on to Facebook and message us. Awesome. Right. Thanks. So Mickey and I are going with International Commission to Brazil. It is a church-to-church -church ministry, so we will be paired with local churches there. They use Operation Andrew, so everybody in the church has made a list of 10 people that are close to them but far from God. And so we will go and share God's love with them. Um, we have little salvation bracelets, and if you haven't ever seen this before, um, black is the blood of Christ. I mean, black is your sin. Red is the blood of Christ. White you're pure snow after accepting Jesus. Blue, you grow in living water and are baptized. Green, you continue to grow, and one day you see the golden, um, uh, the golden roads in heaven. So um, these I've made a whole bunch, and I would love for you to pick one up after the service so that you can pray for all of us. There you go. Um, you can just tie it on. You can tie it on. And it will also challenge you to um, share your faith if anybody asks why you have it on or, um, or if you just tie it on your purse or whatever. But um, all of us are in deep need of prayer through this whole process. And, yes, I agree with that. We definitely need your prayer. Um, this is something new for me because since I've been a sold-out believer for 38 years, but... This is the first time I'm going somewhere else with an international group and having to speak it. So just, yes, pray for each of us. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> you got to sleep on the couch, bro. You better watch right, out. I guess I got to speak. Um, so, yeah, Kat and I are going to the Air Force. Uh, it was a... <laughs> It was funny because I planned on going before uh, I got back in touch with Kat. Um, but, you know, God blessed me with the wife before, and she brought it up. And I was like, oh, perfect. You know, um, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And while I'm in there, I definitely plan on, you know, just sharing, you know, just and glorifying the Lord. Um, my little brother's there in there in the Navy, and they call him Preach because, you know, he just... You know, started his own Bible study and everything, so he's really somebody I'm looking up to for that because I definitely want to do the same and sharing. And I'm really excited that I get to do it with my wife, um, which a lot of people were saying, you know, it's not a common thing, but they were, you know, really rooting for us. So, yeah. And so we also just want to say thank you, Crossroads. Um, you guys have really helped us to grow and uh, really furthered us in our walk with the Lord and everything. So we really appreciate you guys. This is where we were baptized. Um, and yeah, we just love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I think the band's going to come back up, but I'd like to get you guys just in your own spot in front of the stage. So just find a spot. Mickey and Sarah, you can be together since you're going together. Carmel, you're on the end there. And then what I would like to do is if you guys are interested, why don't you come forward and let's just circle up and pray over them as we send them. Like there is God's glory in the sending 
as much as the praying and the staying. Amen? Amen. So make sure that everybody's covered. So we want to make sure that we all got equal coverage here. And then they're going to play. And then I'm going to, I'll close this in prayer after, after the next few minutes. So if you just play something soft underneath, that'd be great.